Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're going to pick up in point number two on our worksheet, uh, which covers our current series entitled Important Prophecy Terms, where we are comparing and contrasting seven sets of terms that I believe are important to properly grasping the flow of prophecy as we see it unfolding. And as we've said several times now, this is in preparation for our next series. So when we finish the seventh set of terms here, these seven sets of prophecy terms, we will then go into a uh, extended series covering the 30 prophetic events that I believe the Bible is showing us will take place starting from now through eternity, which of course is described at the end of the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. So we are in point number two, or the second set of terms in today's program, and this is where we are comparing and contrasting the terms the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. And we have uh, gone through the day of Christ, and prayerfully you have been able to see that that is all about the rapture. When you see the term the day of Christ or the day of Jesus Christ, we're talking about uh, an amazing event that's going to happen, I, <laughs> I believe, in the near future when the Lord is going to call all the believers in Jesus Christ to him as he comes down from heaven into the air above the earth. The key point is he does not step on the earth. That's a significant point, a, a point of differentiation between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. During the time frame of the day of the Lord, Christ will actually come back to the earth and stand on the earth. And the first place he will stand is the last place he stood 2,000 years ago, and that is on the Mount of Olives, which is the mount just to the east of Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, of course, is in Old Jerusalem where the Temple Mount stood. And one of the things you really appreciate when you travel to Jerusalem and have the opportunity to look at the, um, the landscape, if you will, of, of general Jerusalem, you find that there are seven hills and that they are close together. As a matter of fact, the distance from the gate of the Temple Mount, as it stands today in Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley up to the top of the Mount of Olives is just a little over a half mile a little over a half mile. It's what's called a Sabbath day's walk. So they are close together, these seven hills. You can see all of them very easily from standing there uh, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So um, that's what we're basically talking about here when he comes to stand on the Mount of Olives, and that will initiate the judgments uh, that conclude the tribulation, and that will initiate the beginning of his millennial kingdom in which he will sit on his physical throne in his physical body, albeit glorified, in Jerusalem 
as King of Kings and Lord of Lords over the entire earth. So that's going to be a glorious time. And for you and me as uh, believers in Jesus Christ, uh, we will come back with him. We will have been wedded to him in heaven. Uh, We've gone up to heaven in the rapture as his bride. We come back from heaven at the second coming with him as his wife. And the Bible tells us that we, his wife, the, uh, the church, will rule and reign with him on the earth during that thousand-year millennial kingdom. So an extremely exciting time that we all have to to look forward to. That is what's called our great hope, our great confident expectation that we read in Titus 2.13 and other places. So uh, it's something to look forward to. That's the day of Christ. We've been spending the last um, three programs, I think it is, talking about the day of the Lord. And this is just as about as opposite from the day of Christ as one can get when you are laying out a um, a program of God. The day of Christ is a joyous time when we see Jesus face to face for rewards. The day of the Lord, which one of the key events in the day of the Lord, it's actually not a day as the rapture is. Uh, it is a period of time, and one of the key points um, of time during the day of the Lord is the judgments, the judgments that will take place because he will judge the Gentiles of the world and he will judge the Jews of the world. So every living person on the earth at the end of the tribulation, and frankly there won't be that many because most of them will have perished one way or the other during the tribulation period, but those who are alive will be judged by Jesus So it's going to be a very difficult time. Yes, there will be a remnant of Jews that are going to be judged as righteous at the end of the tribulation. And yes, there's going to be a remnant of Gentiles who will be judged by Christ um, at the end of the tribulation as being righteous. And those righteous few Jews and those righteous few Gentiles will be able to walk into the literally the millennial kingdom Um, when there's going to be a lot of changes. It will not be perfection, but it'll be a lot better than it is today. Um, Because at that moment, the moment that the millennial kingdom begins, there will be no, now listen to this, there will be no unrighteous people on the earth. Everyone will be righteous. And then over the period of a thousand years, unrighteousness will creep in because no one is in their perfect state that's living on the earth. Only the church, only the resurrected saints of the Old Testament and the the tribulation period will be in their perfected bodies. Uh, But those living on the earth will have children and will have to bring those children to a knowledge of who Christ is. And believe it or not, even though he's sitting on the throne in bodily form, um, with righteousness being pervasive across the earth, there will be people because of the uh, sinfulness of their heart will turn to the dark side and there will be sin. And that's why it says that the church, when we come back with Christ, we will rule and reign with him. There's no need to rule if there's no sin, but because there's going to be sin, there will be a need for ruling and we will... um, be about that work with Christ, of course, he being the King of kings and Lord of lords, sitting in that glorious fourth temple in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. 
So we want to get into um, th- this difficult, it's actually a difficult set of verses because it's all about gloom and doom for the majority of people uh, because it's a period that includes a good part of the tribulation. It includes the judgments of the tribulation, but it also includes the setting up of the kingdom. And we were in uh, several Isaiah passages in our last uh, set of programs, and the last one we were in, um, we initiated the discussion in Isaiah 34. Isaiah 34, so if we could go there in our Bibles, it's approximately the middle of your Bible. It's the uh, book with 66 chapters in it, so it should be fairly easy to find. Isaiah 34 is where we want to go. And in our program, we read the first eight verses. And it talks about a very dreadful time. And I want to make a point here uh, to kind of as a summation type thing as we continue to go through these principally Old Testament verses, but we'll have some New Testament as well. The Old Testament verses, there there was a lot of judgment, just to say that, that a lot of judgments that took place on Israel during the Old Testament. And God did this judging because they would, uh, cyclically, if you will, they would fall into sin and then come out of sin. And he would use, um, starting with the Egyptians, he would use foreign uh, idol-worshiping powers to bring about the judgment on Israel. So we had the Egyptians, then the next were the Assyrians, and the Assyrians out of modern-day Iraq uh, and Syria and so forth, uh, headquartered in Nineveh, which is modern-day Mosul in Iraq, uh, they would come down from the north uh, during a series of sieges and ultimately in 722 B.C. took the ten northern tribes, uh, just about all of them, not all, but just about all of them captive, So the 10 northern tribes basically disappeared into Iraq and Syria and so forth. They will come back. They didn't totally disappear. I want to make that point very clear. The Bible's very clear to tell us that all 12 tribes will come back together again uh, at the end of the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation. But the point is that there there are descriptions of the evil and the violence of each of these situations with the Assyrians, with the uh, the Medo-Persians, with the Babylonians. And we need to be able to differentiate a description of those uh, specific events that happened in specific places and involved specific groups of people and separate those by what we call the inductive study method, asking the questions who, what, where, when, why, and how so that we can understand the context of the passage. I'm saying this because we are looking at passages in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel and so forth where one might say, well, that's describing the Babylonian captivity or that's describing the Assyrian invasion of the northern ten tribes. Well, in context, you can see when, for instance, we're in Isaiah 34, and I pray that you're there right now with me. Look at verse... um, one. It says, draw near, O nations. So you remember that whenever the Assyrians came, it was the nation of Assyria or the nation of the Babylonians and so forth. Here we're seeing plural. Then he says in verse 2, for the Lord's indignation is against all the nations. 
So my point here is to see just by looking at the context, looking at the verbiage, and then reading what's around it and asking those pertinent questions, who's talking to who, whom about what, and what, what's the context, what's the timing. And you can, you can differentiate because there are a number of passages, particularly in the Old Testament in prophecy, where there is a set of verbiage that has a near-term application but also has a far distant application as well. So punishment is never nice. Punishment is never easy to take. It's often very violent, very cruel, very barbaric. And that's what the Babylonians did. That's what particularly the Assyrians did uh, to the 10 northern tribes. But it's going to be that bad and worse during the tribulation. So you'll see common descriptive terms, but always look for who's being talked to. Is it about Assyria, or in this case in Isaiah 34, is it about all the nations? So wanted to, to make that point because that's going to be applicable all the way through a study, uh, not just on the day of the Lord, but in, in uh, general terms. There are a lot of prophecies that have a near-term, uh, perhaps immediate, or perhaps 100 years in the future, and then it has the same application to thousands of years in the future. And that oftentimes is uh, fairly easy to easily discerned by asking who, what, where, when, why, and how. So we were looking at Ezekiel 34. I wanted to use that passage that we were in last time to make that point and also to go back and refresh you because down in verse 6 of uh, Ezekiel 34, it mentions an ancient town that's no longer there in southern Jordan called Basra, and the area that Basra is located in called Edom. And we took a little side path there because I thought it was very interesting to bring it up. We took a side path to go to Isaiah uh, 63. And again, this is just a verbal review. We're not going there. You can if you like. Uh, You can see that on the worksheet. I have the scriptures there for you. And by the way, this worksheet, you can download it from the website here at the radio station. Uh, we went to, Ezekiel, uh, to uh, Isaiah 63, which again uses the terms or the location descriptors of Basra and Edom. And then, and, and again, it's describing, as does Isaiah 34, it's describing the end of the tribulation and Christ coming back to judge. And it's going to be a bloody, brutal, um, cruel time in the world. And this is not a surprise. God has said he would do this from the beginning. So uh, when you read this, please don't think of God as being a haphazard, I just feel like doing this type of God. He has been telling uh, Israel particularly, but the world in general, that uh, this is what he's going to exact against those who deny him and more specifically deny his son. But we saw where Basra and Edom were listed, and then, of course, we went to um, Zechariah to see that Zechariah 14.4 tells us that when Jesus comes back, the first place he's going to touch down, if you will, when he comes back from heaven, is the same place that he touched down or left it up from when he left us 2,000 years ago, and that's the Mount of Olives. But before that, he's going to start his punishment Uh, his march, if you will, against the evils of the world all the way down in southern, way down in southern Israel. It's actually over on the Jordanian side. 
in the region of ancient Edom, in the and it says that specifically mentions the ancient town of Basra, and then he goes north from there. And to kind of confirm that in another way from a another major prophet, we went to Daniel. We went to Daniel 11, and we went to verse 41, and we found that when the Antichrist is in full assault against the countries of the Middle East particularly, and specifically against Israel, it says he comes into the beautiful land, which is another descriptive term for Israel, but he cannot conquer Edom, Moab, and Ammon. And we talked about that in some detail. These were evil people groups that were enemies of Israel. And in the Old Testament, God said, I'm going to take out my personal vengeance again against them. And indeed, that's what Jesus does. He starts with Edom. He moves up through Moab and Ammon. And then he steps down on the Mount of Olives um, to address the armies coming out of the north, out of um, Har Megiddo about uh, 50 miles north of Jerusalem as the crow flies. That's where the armies of of the Antichrist are going to marshal for their assault against Jerusalem. So we see all this, and it's just kind of side notes. I find them very interesting because the Bible is very descriptive uh, in completing pictures for you of historical facts, biblical facts, if you'll just let the Bible do that by a uh, cross-reference study of, of the Scriptures. So that was uh, Ezekiel, or excuse me, that was Isaiah 34. And now let's go to Ezekiel 30 to continue on here. So Jeremiah, Lamentations, and you get into Ezekiel. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 30. And let's see another descriptive uh, use of the term, the day of the Lord, and let's see what the book of Ezekiel says. And you realize this is an overview. This is certainly nowhere near an exhaustive look. In fact, I have a whole... Um, series study on the day of the Lord because there's, I don't know, 70-something references that we would look at, 70-something different terms to describe this. Ezekiel 30, verse 3, and it says, um, let's start at verse 1 just for context. The word of the Lord came again to me saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, Wail, alas, for that day. For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. So you see the descriptive term. You see that it is a time of wailing and a time of doom, and it's for the nations. So again, that differentiating uh, noun there, nations, as opposed to a specific people group, the Assyrians or the Babylonians or or whomever. So we will continue with this when we look at the book of Joel, one of the um, minor prophet books, full of uh, full of prophecy. And we'll do that in our next program. But now we want to go to our Q and A time, Q and A time, and we are talking about the working, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit during the tribulation period, and we've been pointing out over the last number of Q&A portions of our programs that the, the Holy Spirit um, reprises, if you will, um, his role, his manifestation, um, his working from the Old Testament where he would come on people who were righteous and then he would leave them if they turned to a lifestyle of iniquity and evil doing. 
Uh, and we made that point very clear through passages out of, uh, for instance, Ezekiel 33, um, verses 11 to 13 was one of the clear ones. And then we, uh, we showed in the New Testament that it's indeed the way the Holy Spirit will manifest himself and work with people during the tribulation period in the same way as the Old Testament. He would not permanently indwell people. And that's gonna, that, was, that will be true during the tribulation. And we use the parable of the ten virgins to show that uh, with a lot of discussion that we're not going to uh, review here uh, to show that um, the five prudent virgins that had the Holy Spirit, had the oil, were the ones that uh, were judged by uh, Jesus as righteous and were invited to the wedding supper. The five who had lost the Holy Spirit, had lost their oil, had let it run out, if you will, were denied entry to the wedding supper. And again, the key key phrase is wedding supper. It wasn't the wedding. This is nothing. This has nothing to do with the church, has nothing to do with rapture. This is all addressed to Israel as that whole Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. It's all addressed to Israel relating to the tribulation and the second coming of Christ. Then in our um, last program, we finished by being in Daniel. So if we could, uh, we were in Ezekiel just a moment ago in our teaching portion. If we could go just one more book to the right from Ezekiel, if you've kept your hand there, kept your place there, and go to Daniel chapter 12, the last book of the amazing prophetic book of Daniel. And we read there in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, now at that time, and in context of the flow of the scriptures here, from 11 on into 12, we're talking about the end of the tribulation, the end of the seven-year tribulation of Israel. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, and this is the archangel Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, and Daniel, of course, uh, was told very clearly these prophecies are about Israel and Israel only. So when it says over the sons of your people, it's talking about Israel. Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, Israel, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time, and at that time your people, everyone who's found in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life. And this is what's going to happen at the end of the tribulation when Jesus judges the world. He's then going to resurrect and judge the Old Testament saints, those who had faith. And that's what we want to talk about here uh, for a little bit during this Q&A portion today. Uh, so it's talking about those that are that are righteous when they died in the Old Testament and that they will be raised again. And it's interesting. Uh, when you look at the New Testament in context, you can see this being described, these Old Testament saints being uh, resurrected. So what I'd like to do is go to the book of John in the New Testament, the last of the four Gospels, the book of John. I'd like you to go to John chapter 6. And as uh, kind of an introduction to dis- discussing this passage, this is one of those many, many cases where it's very important 
that you ask those inductive study questions, who, what, where, when, why, and how. Because if you do that in this passage right here, and you look in context, the scriptures before what we're going to talk about here and the scriptures that come after, you realize that Jesus is in a period in his ministry when he is still offering the gospel of the kingdom to Israel. They have not fully denied him yet. They will do that later. But at this point, he is still offering the gospel of the kingdom. And remember, and we're going to get into detail on that in our next uh, point number three set of questions, the difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. He's still offering the gospel of the kingdom. There's no discussion in this passage in John 6 about his death, burial, and resurrection. There's no discussion about the need to believe on his blood um, that he shed on the cross for eternal life. He's merely telling them, I am here standing in front of you, Israel, as your promised Messiah, as your promised king, and I'm here to fulfill prophecy. I'm here to fulfill the covenants. And remember, a good portion of the Old Testament, and that's what we're reading about and um, exploring in our uh, teaching time, is the, the day of the Lord. All through the Old Testament, Israel was told there will be a day, excuse me, a day of the Lord. There will be a tribulation, a horrible time in which you will be tested, Israel, and those who are found righteous at the end of that testing, at the end of that tribulation, will be raised up uh, if they had died or will be counted as blessed and will enter into my kingdom that I'm offering you. Now, for these people at this point in John chapter 6, that kingdom is right there ready to be offered. There will be a tribulation when, in that particular case, Rome would have been judged and the unrighteous People would have been judged, and um, the righteous would have been separated out through that horrible tribulation. But it didn't take place. It didn't take place because they didn't accept Christ as their king. So later on, after John 6, he will talk about, in the Gospels, talk about the fact that he has to be crucified and buried and resurrected, and there will then be the gospel of grace, and the gospel of the kingdom is put on hold. So I want us to use that as backdrop, as a background, when we look at John chapter 6, and let's look at verses 39 and 40. John chapter 6, verses 39 and 40. Remember, he's talking to Israel, and he's talking about the kingdom being set up right then. It says in verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. He will lose nothing. Those that have come to faith, now we're talking Old Testament saints. So you're saying, wait a minute, Jesus wasn't alive during the Old Testament. But the Old Testament people had an understanding of what sacrifice, of, a, of someone in a perfect state being sacrificed for them. They knew what they meant, so they had faith that counted was counted as faith by God. And that's what we want to talk about, because uh, as we get into uh, Hebrews and others as a part of this discussion in our next program, uh, I hope that, uh, I pray that you'll see that this 
makes sense that we're talking about Old Testament saints being resurrected here, as we talked about in Daniel chapter 12. So remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.